I don't think our biggest fear is feeling like we're inadequate. I think our biggest fear is knowing somewhere deep down that we're actually very powerful. And it's that fear that keeps us from doing insanely incredible things. Typical things we might do out of that fear is to shrink ourselves so that people around us don't feel so insecure or we'll feel guilty for owning our own capabilities and talents as we tend to take pity on those who don't have the same ones. We assume those people don't have the same abilities as us, which is kind of narcissistic. So when does what's natural become a big problem? This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'm an indie artist and storyteller, and in this week's podcast, I'm taking you all over the place because it's been a challenging week, and I've been battling a bad cold, which means I have a lot of good homemade medicine in my system, so I might hit some odd places in this one. Let's see what Christine does under the influence of very strong homemade tinctures and fever dreams. Alex Korb is a neuroscientist who wrote a book called The Upward Spiral, and he studied and pinpointed an area of the brain that actually rewards you for feeling guilty. It's called the nucleus accumbens, if I said that right. I'm sure I didn't say that right. And when you feel guilt or shame, that part of your brain will produce a surplus of dopamine. And this is the same area that's activated in drug and alcohol addiction. Now you gotta remember that everybody's body works differently. Similarly, but different. Some people's brains produce way more dopamine than others when that pleasure center is triggered, so we've got some people who can get past addiction a little easier than others, and the fact that the same kind of solution doesn't work for everybody. With that in mind, we know some people who might be producing more dopamine who might have a harder time overcoming addictions because their pleasure chemicals are through the roof, those people might be a little more prone to holding on to guilt more and magnifying or over-exaggerating it. And these people could more easily be swindled by guilt trips and anybody out there who sees an opportunity to take advantage of and control them with guilt. So if you're a person who feels an overwhelming sense of guilt with just about everything, even when it's not logical, you're probably responding to a surplus of dopamine, just like an alcohol addict, and you can take it overboard. So there's the scientific reason behind why you might be doing that. You're actually feeling too much pleasure from feeling guilty. Your brain is rewarding you for feeling guilty and shameful. There is a degree of guilt that we can feel that kind of polices us to keep from becoming monsters, if you know indeed that you did something intentionally and very hurtful to somebody, well, that's what guilt is for, to keep you from doing it again. But it doesn't do any good to hold on to that guilt forever and hold on to those feelings of being bad for too long. You've got to get to a point where you forgive yourself and know how to move on. 
forgiving yourself and moving on works a heck of a lot better than feeling guilty about it for the rest of your life. Forgiving and, and moving past things like that, it personally teaches us a sense of responsibility. We all make mistakes. We learn from them. The tendency to keep feeling bad about it or to keep on punishing yourself, well, all that does is push you down into a hole of depression and it becomes debilitating. Oppression is a very serious problem and it's easy to be taken advantage of when you're advertising to everybody around you that you should be feeling guilty, that you've been so bad, you're just this horrible person and you're hanging on to that self-pity that comes with guilt that's gone overboard. That's a target. That tells everybody that you're somebody who can be controlled, that you're a bad person, and that stigma doesn't go away until you let it go. Not everybody out there will take advantage of it, but most of them will. They can bring up the past, bring up your weaknesses, Bring up anything that will make you hold on to that guilt just a little bit tighter, just a little longer. Because under duress, you can be used. Guilt and shame activate pleasurable sensations. They feel so bad that they feel good. And you can let that go too far. People do it all the time. There's a huge link between guilt and feeling social anxiety, and this links itself to more self-destructive behaviors, depression, self-consciousness, insecurity. And so you can see how this would be a wonderful tool to use if you want to control somebody or use it as a weapon in some passive-aggressive way. I'm definitely not advocating that. Using guilt and shame to control or seek revenge is something that makes me feel repulsion. It's abuse. And this is the tactic most used in toxic relationships. Because it's easy. It's like giving an alcoholic a constant supply of whiskey. And it can break a person down so much that they'll lose their ability to make logical and self-supportive decisions. That means they become slaves to that person using guilt to keep their own agendas alive. We have so much power that we're afraid of that power. Afraid we'll abuse it if we allow ourselves to feel it to any degree at all. And the total opposite direction is to live with constant guilt and allow ourselves to stay down. The number one fear is that if we acknowledge the power and the abilities that we do have, will abuse it and become serial killers or something. I don't believe that's true. I know plenty of people who are aware of what they can do and they're not abusing it. They're using their abilities and their powers to enhance their lives without oppressing anybody else. But that's not everybody. We'll always have lots of people who do abuse their power and use shame and guilt to control people in their lives. And this world is not some kind of fantasy amusement park where everybody's singing and getting along. We all saw that this year, didn't we? We saw the ugly side of human nature in large groups. I saw how much inconsideration and stubbornness infiltrated our lives. It was tremendous to watch. 
and it was disappointing. But I also saw a massive part of the population who did not react to the hardships like a train wreck. Those people stayed in control, and those people were a very large and logical part of our society. We just tend to pay more attention to the loud, intimidating voices. They're right there in our faces. But the whole world can't be judged on those squeaky wheels. But I'm going to trail off back to the beginning again. We are more afraid of our own power than we are of our insecurities. And that's what sets us back. It can actually be pleasurable to feel guilty all the time which leads to this false humbleness that's nothing but self-destructive. You can blow anything out of proportion. That's what humans are good at. Everything in excess. Our food, our vitamins. Giving a child too much vitamin C can cause kidney stones. Too much of any good thing is never so good. I remember being fascinated by something I heard in a National Geographic documentary. It was when they found those giant crystal caves down under Mexico. I learned from watching that that we are inclined as human beings to put ourselves in extreme danger just to experience euphoria. And it's a natural thing that we all battle. The crystal caves, for example, exposed humans to very harsh conditions. The temperatures down there were at 50 degrees Celsius. That's 122 degrees Fahrenheit, and the humidity was over 90%, which meant that uh, sweating had no cooling effect. Scientists were only able to stay in the cave for 10 to 15 minutes at a time, and the cave was sealed off by two sets of doors, so they had to hurry and get out. They had to be on their way out before their time was up. And these guys had to undergo a medical check every morning before they went in just to see if their bodies were still able to withstand it. On top of this, they had drained the cave to study the crystals, which meant those giant crystals, we're talking over 40 or 50 metric tons, were weakened without the support of the water. They could crack and fall at any minute and crush a person. But these scientists could not seem to adhere to the time limit. They would really cut their timing close before they'd leave. These were very smart men and women who knew they were risking death, but the intensity of what they were seeing and feeling, that beauty, that euphoria, that dopamine, was making them stay in the mines longer than they should have and risk their lives. We are curious creatures. I know I am. And it's very easy to become entranced and pleasured by things that we know can kill us. This world is a challenging place and we're always looking for something else to make us feel good. And this is what makes it so hard to deal with a loved one with an addiction. And it also makes it really easy to take advantage of those people who have higher addictive tendencies. There's this push and this pull between us all. We're all feeling some kind of euphoria from some very deadly things, whether it be something we can see, like giant crystals in Mexico, or something more invisible, like the guilt we know can be exploited. 
I wanted to go over that before I went into anything like conjuring any personally powerful things. Because it's important to know, wrap your head around the fact that you are free to choose darker things or to choose the sun, lighter things, the good things. Things that make a desirable difference in other people's lives or your own. And in that choice is a lot of responsibility. Not just to be nice, but also to give yourself some kind of protection when you've set something in motion. Protection comes from inner responsibility, inner knowing. And now I'm going to get weird. (laughs) Blame it on the homemade medicines I took this week if you really want to. But I'm a believer in um, otherworld abilities. I don't think they're so otherworldly. I believe we all have an interconnected psychic ability. A man who used to work for the CIA, Russell Targ, did some studies that I read about remote viewing. Remote viewing is when you sit somewhere and you seek out impressions or information about a distant place that you're nowhere near or you haven't seen. These are documents available to read publicly if you want to. They're up in the library of the CIA website. This was a research study done by Mr. Targ and his colleagues where they were training people to do remote viewing and describe what they saw. Now, since there was training, that means there was some sort of formula there. Of course, this had some military interest. Turns out most of these experiments were pretty on point too. And they all had some similar tactics that seemed to work for everybody who volunteered. A key one being that once your mind has started to relax, and they were measuring this with a machine that could decipher when the brain displayed a relaxed state. In that relaxed state, a person was more able to come up with just a simple abstract shape, a square, a couple of parallel lines, some abstract visual that looked very close to the thing that they were trying to remotely view. It's interesting. You can Google it or go to the CIA library and the PDFs are right there to read. It might be boring stuff for some people, but I was fascinated. I hadn't even finished reading about it when my computer died last week. I need to go back. But Mr. Targ, the scientist doing these experiments, said that it all had something to do with uh, quantum physics. He's a physicist. And quantum physics are way beyond my knowledge. There is so much there that I don't even understand. It all sounds insane, but my interest is triggered. I really want to try stuff like that. And yet if everybody apparently has the ability and could learn how to do that at some point, wouldn't it be abused? Wouldn't that be yet another way to keep somebody under control? And is that why we refuse to acknowledge this kind of power? Because maybe we're afraid that with these kinds of abilities, we couldn't keep ourselves from doing some serious emotional damage to each other? We already have problems with more physical forms of personal invasion. What if we suddenly had to start dealing with psychic invasion? But we already sort of do, though, don't we? We already have people out there who know how to psychically invade our thoughts and our personal space. 
We have people close to us who do it without even knowing they're doing it. It happens in very close relationships when people are fighting about something, especially if that fight is a silent one or a passive-aggressive one. The more you try to hide something, the brighter you shine. Psychic invasion already happens, even by those who don't believe in it. And so why not learn how to control it and use it properly? Because our power and our abilities are very strong. Our emotions, guilt, insecurity, fear, those things are so strong that once we project them into the air around us, they touch people and they can cause chaos. That is, if we never learn to control that power and keep it from disturbing our families and friends. And in learning how to control such strong emotions, we can also learn how to bring better ones into our lives and keep our heads above water and bring good things into the lives of those people that we care about. Think about it. This has been a very bizarre episode of Natural and Wild with me, Christine Grayson. I'm still under the effects of my mother's extremely strong elderberry tincture, which is very good by the way, and I totally recommend it for colds and flu. I'd like to thank all my friends and supporters of this show, Chris Nolan, Yvonne Ragland, Robin Umber, Sheila McGregor, Arnold Bloom, Bruce Presson, and William Bishop. I'd like to thank the incredible people who donated to the tip jar this week via PayPal. It means so much to me, and I wish you all a lovely weekend. Stay safe, stay warm, and come back again.